Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current events in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studios here in Beijing. Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldcorn are both suddenly away from Beijing on family matters, so I'm David Moser filling in today as guest host for the podcast. If you, like me, are fascinated by Chinese Western cross-cultural influences and even perhaps some cross-cultural disasters and train wrecks, you're in for a real treat on our podcast today. We have with us here Chris Beam, writer and journalist who's written for Slate Magazine, New York Magazine, The New York Times Book Review. What else, Chris? And on most recently, The New Republic. <laughs> yeah. For which, uh, for which uh, this month uh, features an article by Chris that will be the main topic of this podcast. But anyway, Chris, thanks for coming. Enjoy. Thanks so much. Here. Good to be here. I've always wanted to talk to you. I've read your stuff and wanted to hang out with you, but never had a chance. But now we have a chance <laughs> here in the in the podcast. So yeah, why this not counts. Uh, we'll have the chat now? Uh, okay. Well, we, we we want to talk about your article in the April eighth edition, I believe it is, of the New Republic, uh, entitled "Year of the Pigskin." Obviously, a, a pun about the, the birth pains. <laughs> not or, my pun. Not, but, not your, uh, oh, that was one of those some, uh, some editorial genius. puns. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, about the birth pains of the American Football League in China, uh, specifically a ragtime team from Chongqing that there's called the Chongqing Dockers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the audience is, has their curiosity peaked, but uh, <laughs> rather than dive into it, I think you need to, you got some splaining to do, let's put it that way. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you found these guys and the, the, the birth of, uh, you know, uh, American football in China, of all things. Right. I mean, it. I feel like when a lot of people hear uh, the phrase American football in China, it, it sounds like a terrible, bad cross-cultural comedy. Yeah. Um, and so going into it... By the it, way, football, for this podcast, football is American <laughs> football, not right, right. sissy soccer stuff. So when we say football, we mean football. Okay. We, we're going to save a lot of time by not right. saying American right, before right, right. that. Um, I mean, I, I stumbled on this piece because... Uh, during Spring Festival 2013, last year, I went down to Chongqing and um, ended up meeting uh, this guy, Chris McLaurin, who um, at that time, he'd just gotten to Chongqing uh, on a loose fellowship, mm-hmm. which was the, the same fellowship that I'd done the year before. Um, and uh, he, you know, in showing me around the city, uh, also showed me, in- introduced me to this football team that he'd, he'd started coaching. Um, a bunch of Chinese guys who uh, they themselves had started, uh, th- they'd gotten this team together a few months before. Um, they all met online on a QQ group they started because uh, they were so into American football. Um, I went to one of these practices um, and immediately realized that, that this could make a great story. It could also make a terrible story. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I decided to start following them, um, went to more and more practices, went to the few games that they started to play, um, and ended up following them for a full year. Um, well, but, but, but back up a little bit. I mean, what, what was the input? What was the impetus for this? Just you know, whose whose crazy idea was this to start a football league in China? Well, it, it started uh, because there were a handful of, of guys in Chongqing who um, were huge American football fans. Oh, really? And huh. the the reason they came to it in the first place was through American movies. Ah, um, okay. You know, they'd all seen Rudy, uh, The <laughs> Longest Yard, right. uh, the, the the you know. 2006 or whenever it was Adam Sandler remake right, right. not the original right. um any given sunday they they've seen all these movies and they loved them 
um, but they never played the sport themselves. So uh, when this QQ group got started, one of them threw out the idea of actually holding a practice. Um, this was summer of 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, they got together, uh, held, I guess, what you could call a practice, um, <laughs> but none of them actually knew how to play the game. Yeah, they didn't know the rules, right? This is what <laughs> No, I mean, uh, they, Marco, who was the captain, um, he... It's a Chinese guy. A Marco. Chinese guy. Yeah, right, right. So all these, almost all the, everyone on the team was Chinese, right. um, but a lot of them had English names. Um but Marco, uh, he looked at, he started watching instructional football videos on online, <laughs> um, tried to replicate those in practice with varying levels of success. Um, and after a couple months of doing this, um, uh, they they really lucked out because this this guy Chris, the coach, uh, showed up in Chongqing, found out about the team through a colleague, and and came to practice one day. And um, you know any. American showing up uh, to this practice probably would have become coach. Um, <laughs> but luckily, this uh, guy was actually a football player, right? Yeah, I mean, he he knew his stuff. Uh, he had played uh, tight end for University of Michigan for four years. Um, you know, really kind of top of his game, um, aside from professional football in, in the U.S. Uh, and so when, when they discovered that they had him here, they immediately made him head coach. He became the guru, right? Yeah. Right. And he started, um, he really uh, started throwing himself into the team full time. Um, and so from there, uh, it, it really started to take off. They they got more and more people. Um, I mean, Chris, uh, Chris started to teach them actual football skills. Um, and then starting in the fall, uh, they actually created a, a football league where they brought together eight teams from around the country and, and played a full season. Yeah. So that's what the piece is about. Yeah, the piece is quite inspiring, actually. They go from a kind of a, you know, Keystone Cops kind of a comedy of errors on this field to actually winning, those, you know, some triumphs. It's, it's really, it's, it's a great piece. Uh, I'm going to read a little excerpt from it later on, but I'd like to just frame it a little, little bit, get people more of a, a, an idea of what it's about. I mean, in a certain sense, as someone who's been here a long time, you, you look at this sort of article, and on the surface, it kind of seems to be in a lineage of the kind of articles that you used to see back in the 80s and the 90s, which was something like, you'll never guess, you know, that China now has X. Too. Like, know, they have X, it, too. Yeah, which X being either, like, disco or, you know, mm. Coca-Cola or online dating or heavy metal. Kaiser isn't here today. We can talk a lot <laughs> about it. The, the heavy metal, uh, you know, influence in China. Right. Uh, but the, the fun part about that, or what, why those stories were so easy to write and maybe so trivial in some ways, is, is that... Um, these these foreign memes, or in some cases viruses, in the case of something like heavy metal, perhaps, <laughs> or at least bourgeois, you know, uh, what do you call them? Spiritual pollution. Let's put it that right, way. Right, right. What was put in a context where there was literally no precedent for it. It was like a, a China vacuum. was like an alien planet. In fact, I remember Pierre Cardin, you know, saying uh, the, the fashion designer. You know, he he put a he he built a Maxime's French restaurant here in Beijing, and his comment was, "If I can put a Maxime's in Beijing, I can put one on the moon." <laughs> and, and that's exactly right. what it felt like. You know, yeah. This might as well be on the moon. But the, what's interesting about your article, one of the interesting things, is that there's a very different China. And this American football is now transplanted here on a soil that actually has got a lot of multicultural American memes and everything in it. It's quite a mix. You want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, that's one of the most amazing things about your article. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I right. These guys weren't absorbing this sport in in a total vacuum. As you say, they um, they they learned it. They 
saw Hollywood movies, and that's what made them right. love it, right? Right. Um, and and I what I tried to show in the article is how football is really just one piece mm-hmm. of a larger um, set of uh, media and values and sort of attitudes that that these guys are absorbing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that um, a lot of them are obsessed with Hollywood movies, you know, listen to rap, um, <laughs> you know, know, know more about American football teams than I do. Um, I mean, I don't actually know a lot about American football teams, but, you know, they, they follow this stuff very closely. And the fact that you're in China... The fact that they're in China doesn't pose an obstacle mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, right. I, I think if if this piece were written in the 1980s, it would be um, there would be a lot less, a lot fewer uh, um, common denominators among. Oh, for sure. You right, know, the yeah. coach and the players. Right. But now they actually have. A, a lot more that they could talk about. Um, you know, some of the players speak sort of rudimentary English. Some of them, uh, some of the players who came later spoke quite good English. Well, some of them had even been overseas, right? In, in, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of them had studied in the U.S. Um, and so, uh, right, we're not we're not talking about first contact with American culture. Uh, we're talking about people who have a pretty nuanced understanding of um, the differences. Like these, a lot of these players. Um, what their their favorite movies aren't necessarily Armageddon. You know, the, this this character Fat Baby. Uh, I saw him carrying around a copy of Mulholland Drive. Oh, and I was really? like, oh, that's interesting. And there, this guy, other guy, Figo. His favorite movie is Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. We sat around and one night watched uh, Django Unchained. So it's like it's it's a different <laughs> sort of. I feel like they have a much deeper understanding of American culture than. Certainly, most Americans have of Chinese culture. Right, right. That that's certainly true. Now, if if you don't mind, I'd like to just read a, an excerpt from from the article because I I, I want to give the listeners some idea of what a, a multicultural mashup this thing. I mean, this is this, this article is written so well, but in a way, you're just you're just very re- writing in very descriptively about what's really there. So here's an excerpt from uh, 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 Chris's article: The Beijing Cyclones rolled in an hour before game time. 50 Cent serving as the unintentional entrance music. Mike Ma, a Cyclones captain and Beijing native who had spent his teenage years in Los Angeles, greeted McLaren with a purposeful thug hug. Damn, you guys are deep, dog, said Ma. Many, since many Beijing players couldn't make the trip, Chongqing outnumbered them almost two to one. This made McLaren ca- cautiously optimistic. Beijing had more experience and stronger athletes, including a professional parkour practitioner. But between their home field advantage and and the numbers edge, he thought the Dockers had a shot. Fans, mostly friends and family, gathered in the stands. I asked a student named Liu Zhiyue if he understood the game. A little, he said. The quarterback is the most important. Beyond that, he wasn't totally sure. By the sidelines, a small squad of refs, all expat friends of McLaren, put on the pinstripes they'd ordered online. One, a densely built Californian named Jeff, who had played semi-pro football in Poland and had the words never again tattooed in Hebrew on his shoulder, was getting nervous. I love that sentence. (laughs) I don't know the rules. That's my thing, he said to the head ref. You should have, like, taught us the rules before, dude. Uh, Queen's We Will Rock You came on, the international sign that a sporting event is about to occur. The Dockers lined up along the sidelines and made war hoops, as McLaren had instructed. A smiley player named Kong had affixed masking tape to his helmet to form Sha, the character for kill. Uh, 
I just thought that's, I mean, all the, the whole article is like that. Uh, it's just it's so beautifully, it's just it's such an amazing world. And yet that is the world we live in, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you if you go to one of the games, you see all that stuff. You you hear all that stuff. It you you just really need eyes and ears, and and you're assaulted with uh, that crazy mishmash of um, influences and languages uh, every and day. I think the word we need is memes. If if if, <laughs> if the audience doesn't know the word memes, they need to because it's it's just this you know soup of mixed memes. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. There's a there's a, a moment in the piece where um, I was talking to this player who calls himself Wheezy. Yeah, um, the names after, are great. Fat boy, Wheezy, Fat you know, Baby. Yeah, I mean, fat, beat, fat Baby. Yeah. They um and and the funny thing about those is that they actually call themselves those in in English. It's not just sort yes, of my right. awkward translation from Chinese or anything. And and Wheezy, um, <clears throat> this player who calls himself Wheezy after Lil Wayne. Uh, we were talking about how you know he he went to Rutgers for a year, but then left because he was afraid of like getting shot, um, which is, is sort of a, a strange. I've never heard about Rutgers being particularly dangerous. dangerous. But then um, I I was like, oh, you know, it must have been uh, a tough choice to drop out. And he says, no, you know, because what's it going to be? You know, my diploma or my life? And then he was like, YOLO. And and I was like, wait, that's you actually... You only live once, You right? only live once. But that's not actually what YOLO means. YOLO means, like, you, sh- you only live once, so you should take risks. Not, you only live once, so you, <laughs> so you should, should, like... protect your life. <laughs> right, right, so you should go home <laughs> to a safer place. And so it's just, like, one of many... Uh, Sort of there, Cultural but not borrowing, quite but, but, there. But, but but sort of distorted in the borrowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's wonderful. Yes, the the whole article is like, is like that. I mean, I, I I laughed. I fell on the floor literally. I mean, <laughs> reading it was very very funny. Thanks. Um, so uh, you know, uh, the int- you know uh, we're tempted. I mean, the the temptation is to say you know, football in China. I mean, isn't there isn't football sort of so culturally embedded as part of the ethos of America and has to do with American, you know, macho and, you know, power. I mean, I love the, the description of the fact that, you know, despite that they the fact that they'd seen the movies and stuff, actually the people had trouble actually tackling the other person. They didn't like to tackle. The way you put it is their tackles would be look sort of like careful hugs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that one of the biggest obstacles uh, for them actually playing the game was... Um, that Chinese the, the skills that are necessary for American football, like throwing, tackling, are not really present in mm-hmm. in most Chinese sports. Like you're playing badminton, you're not you know hurling things or, or charging physically into assaulting the other person. Right. right. So I think as Americans, we take for granted that you grow up throwing a baseball or right. or learning these these basic uh, movements. But in in China, that's not really the case. So right. even finding a, a quarterback was incredibly difficult and they they never really did um because you don't have guys who've been throwing, throwing a ball their yeah, entire yeah. life um <clears throat> but then so that's that's sort of the the basic fundamental challenge is that these guys uh, don't they, they don't they're not in the habit of throwing themselves uh unthinkingly into another, another man pro- coming at them <laughs> full force right. which is understandable i don't have i'm not used to that either to tell the truth. <laughs> i'm an yeah. american right right yeah. so I, I i really sympathize in in that in that sense but then when when i actually went and asked them off the field you know why do you play football what are you interested in um 
they they had a, a range of answers. I felt like the the most common one, the one I got immediately, was these guys saying this sport is is really man. Uh, and oh, now you have to explain that because yeah, it's it's again in Chinese. In Chinese, they yeah, say man. Right? They use the word man, man, man. which means uh, macho, or right? Or manly, masculine. Manly, yeah, right. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting because when you're walking around Beijing or Chongqing or whatever, most of the, the sort of masculine ideal that you're uh, barraged with from mm. from billboards or, or advertisements is this sort of skinny, clean, right. uh, like well-coiffed Korean pop star looking man. V- vaguely, so, uh, as, the, 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 as Lisa Simpson in The Simpsons is reading, unthreatening male yeah that sort of figure right yeah. yeah totally um it's not it's not like um dwayne the rock johnson right uh it's, it's not any of these <clears throat> thicker hollywood types so um i thought it was interesting that, that that is the sort of masculine ideal that these guys seem to be interested in becoming right, right. um if they want to get girls of course <laughs> yeah to... although I, I i assume that um there are are some women who are interested in, in that uh, in that type macho kind of guy, yeah. right? Even if it's not the mainstream one. Um, but then beyond that, they they would talk about uh, camaraderie. You, you mm-hmm, hear mm-hmm. that? Um, there's a lot of talk about how uh, China's not especially good at team sports. Well, yeah. Um, let, let me. I, I, by the way, I just want to read something because I. This is this is you've already broached the topic, but I'm going to just go back up a teeny a okay. bit here. But this this is something that Kaiser had wanted to include in, in, as one of the questions. But you're getting into it, so I'm going to ask it anyway. His from his actually from his father. Uh, he said, uh, "My father used to talk about football as a way to understand the American way of doing things, whether business warfare or execution of policy, a stratified but very specialized distribution of brain jobs, grace jobs, and brute force jobs." Modest gains on a play that are then con- consolidated but add up to a great payoff. And that, that's very interesting, really. I mean, you know, it's a, a model of what we think of as the corporate, you know, hierarchy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Did, did, do they think of it at that level? Or were you thinking that? Or, I mean, I mean, obviously, these guys were attracted to something. Did they see this as a football, as a, you know, a metaphor for Americanism in some way? <laughs> I don't think they would have put it the way you just put it. But um, they, they definitely <laughs> use the word the words, you know, teamwork, yeah. um, coming together, like Twanzi yeah. Agan, um, the, the, the sense that they're all, all in it together. And they, they did talk about it, football in contrast to other team sports, like even soccer or basketball, mm-hmm. where, whereas on those teams, if you have a star player, you know, if you have Michael Jordan, you will have an amazing team. Mm-hmm. Whereas in football, um, even, even if you've got a star quarterback, if he doesn't have a good line, then it's not a good team. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that American football has that difference. Um, and then uh, aside, from, aside from that, um, I, ju- I do think that the sport is connected to all these sort of American values. Yeah. Um, and partly that's filtered through movies like we were talking about right. these guys came to it from movies the the sort of struggle um against adversity resulting in triumph right. is just a, that's just a, a an idea and a, a narrative that these guys really love right and they associate it with football obviously you can have that in any context right, right. but they've seen it so much associated with football right um that yeah, well, there's a lot of this. is very interesting. This cross-cultural, these these these, these influences. We tend to sometimes think uh, you can go overboard. 
look at uh, you know Kissinger has got a lot of criticism for starting out or for characterizing uh, in his book on China, you know, uh, using the the game of chess versus Go or Wei Qi, you know, to say Chinese are thinking in terms of Wei Qi, right. and uh, you know the, we're thinking in terms of chess. And you can you can overdo it, and, and you know certain things like mahjong. You wouldn't think that mahjong would end up being played by a bunch of uh, Brooklyn Jewish little old ladies, you know. And yet there it is, right? <laughs> so there's a, but there may be something to say here about that China has evolved so that now football makes a kind of sense that in fact it probably wouldn't have uh, in the in let's say the Qing Dynasty or something. But it has something to do with you know the 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 the, the use of 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 brute power, hmm. which is you know an asp a sport. You know, aspect that you don't have in most of the other Chinese popular Well, there's sports. the brute power, and then there's also um, <clears throat> the strategy. And, the, yes. you know, like a lot of people will compare um, football to, you know, a, a game of chess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got the intellectual side and it's got the, the physical side. And I, I do think that's something that really appeals. Like when when you talk to these guys about, you know, does football have a future in China mm-hmm. and how how would you sell other Chinese people on it? They say one a, a big selling point is the sort of intellectual side, that it's about strategy. It's, you know, vaguely militaristic. Um, it's not just about, um, you know, crushing the person in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that combination is, is actually it's really appealing. attractive to the yeah interesting but what how do you explain uh, the fact that basketball culture was so huge here and basketball has a long history in fact mm-hmm. and it seems like that that was a, a very easy import because it seemed like there was a strong resonance with basketball basketball culture is, was and still is huge here I think you know people people like Dennis Rodman and these people are you know are much bigger stars here than any football player will be for a long time, I think. Yeah, I I think that has a lot to do um, with just the way history played out. I mean, mm-hmm. basketball came here much earlier. It got it came here in the the late nineteenth century. And um, you mentioned even Chairman Mao liked it, or at least you know advocated it or something. Yeah, well, I mean, he he banned a lot of Western imports, but did not ban basketball, mm-hmm. um, which is, was a huge deal I mean, because that that means that you had this continuation of um, people being exposed to basketball, um, and then uh, starting in the nineteen eighties, the the NBA very intelligently negotiated broadcast deals with mm. uh, CCTV where games started being broadcast. Um, you had Mike, the rise of Michael Jordan um, in the, the late 80s, right. uh, who became sort of inter- an international phenomenon. Boy, was he ever, yeah, he was the biggest star. He was, he was bigger than any Chinese, uh, you know, media figure at all. Until, I mean, well, until Yao Ming. Until Yao Ming. And at the same time, basketball, a big difference between basketball and football is basketball has always been an international phenomenon. You yeah. know, you had the Soviets playing. That's right. Um, and whereas American football is exclusively American. Right. Um, basketball is an Olympic sport, which made a huge difference in China mm-hmm. as far as uh, the government's interest in fostering um, basketball players right. here. Um, and so then when Yao Ming came along, that's just when it, it truly exploded. Right. And so uh, an interesting thing people say about American football is, oh, they just need a Yao Ming. Uh, uh, when they get that Chinese player who breaks out, um, then, you know, football will explode in China. Right, right. But the, the problem with that is that um, Yao Ming didn't come along until basketball had already established a huge foundation oh, yeah. in China. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so football doesn't even have that foundation yet. <clears throat> right. 
but it seems like it's uh, in the offing here. I mean, for the way you describe it, this so there's a what describe that that you have how many teams now and where are they exactly? There's... So this league. Um... The American Football League of China. Um, that's, that's a funny title. The American Football <laughs> League of China. Yeah. Football with Chinese characteristics. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the, the fact that the word China comes at the end yeah. is um, interesting. But uh, the, 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 the league itself has eight teams, um, and there are more teams beyond that. Um, you know, you've got a bunch in Shanghai. You've got one or two in Beijing. Um, you have uh, one in Guangzhou, one in Chengdu. Uh, the Juhai Berserkers existed for a while, and I don't know the stat, their status right now. But um, they're 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 constantly sort of reshuffling and and growing. Um, and, but and enough they're, to and have they're, a they're scene. multinational presence. You have you have Americans and foreigners mixed in with the Chinese, or most still mostly. Chinese? It depends where. Uh, the the vast majority on most teams are Chinese. Mm-hmm. So Chongqing and Chengdu. Uh, Guangzhou are are mostly Chinese. Some of the Shang, the Shanghai teams are uh, foreigner. They have more foreigners, but even um, the the uh, the Shanghai team, the the Shanghai Warriors, um, that the Dockers play in in the piece, uh, they were only forty percent foreigners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you have this interesting dynamic where they have to set rules to limit the number of foreigners on the field because. They have to acknowledge that foreigners just are better at football, um, <laughs> and it and it's a little awkward. Um, but because then you get into questions of uh, well, how do you define foreigner? Is it passport? Is it <laughs> right. the way they look? I mean, it it gets very awkward. Right. Um, but uh, but you kind of have to have that, or else a team could just recruit. Um, a bunch of people from the U.S. and tramp, yeah, tramp they could all be they could all be grain-fed Midwestern <laughs> right. Americans and, and so-called Chinese football. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Hmm. That uh, there's there's another aspect here that's kind of interesting uh, about your article, which is, you know, aside from the cross-cultural, you know, China, East-West differences, which which are, are so convoluted. Interesting. There's a there's a intra-China differences, like a generational difference between the younger people who are so you know immersed in this, in this culture and the older their parents and the older generation who come from the Mao period. Mm-hmm. And and there's a schism there that's that's very interesting in the attitudes towards this sport. And everything. you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, bit? I, I I tried <clears throat> as much as I could to get the players to talk about their parents right. and uh, their experiences but also their attitudes toward football mm-hmm. and um you know one of the one of the parents that i spoke to uh, the father of this this guy named figo um he was he was sort of saying that he uh it's not that he doesn't approve um he just doesn't understand like he doesn't get it um you know when he, when he was growing up uh he was a one of mao's little red guards um and he he told a story about how whenever he wanted to see a movie he would go pay like five Mao um, <laughs> for uh, to, to get into the theater and um, you know they'd climb over a wall to, to watch but these were all government approved movies and so um, as as this as the parents have gotten older they've they've started traveling abroad a little bit more getting exposed to to other cultures but American movies American sports that's that's sort of a, a too great a, a leap, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but uh, too great a leap. Yeah, <laughs> they um, they 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 say that they support what their their kids are doing, but um, they don't really get it. Uh-huh. Um, so I I do think this is 
you, you've had American influence um, in China for a long time. You know, people listening right. to Hotel California, oh, yeah. uh, John Denver back mm-hmm. in the 80s. But I think this is the first generation of people who um, are exposed to American culture and really get it. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is it's it's not just uh, exotic and they're attracted by it. They've absorbed it. They've absorbed the the, the, the psychological aspect, the cultural aspects, the whole ethos is there. And they're you know it's mixed in with Chinese Chinese too, right? And you have some outliers. I always like the the girlfriend of uh, Fat Baby. You know, it's like kind of well, go ahead and do this if you want. If it'll help you lose weight, go ahead. You know, it's like <laughs> right, she, right. she's not into it, right? Right. But but he is, and so I mean, it's interesting. You have you know these differences. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um the the you're saying the way to the extent to which they absorbed it um some players more than others. Um I mean, you you've also got a range there. Um there are some people who've studied abroad and and know English and uh really can sort of speak the language of American pop culture and then you have people who um uh don't, aren't as much part of that world, and so that those aren't schisms within in the team. But you see, you see a range, right? What about? I mean, you have these people who are passionate about it. What about the audiences? Who who goes to see these 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 games? For the most part, it's friends and family. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, this is not yet ready to be, to be televised. Obviously. No, no. <laughs> um, I mean, these uh, the audiences even for the championship game <laughs> were not fit. huge. Yeah. Um, and I think that, but there's a lot of curious people who are just wandering by and, and come over. There's a, a funny moment during one of the games where the players are about to, um, to they're, they're lining up, they're about to snap the ball, and the, the, the ref blows the whistle. And everyone sort of stands up and looks around confused. And there's some old guy who just wandered onto the field, <laughs> down downfield a little bit. Um, you know, so random people would just show up and be like, this looks interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, fans in the making. Um, and, you know, just reading the article, somebody, was it Kaiser's? I think it was Kaiser, in fact, tweeted or something saying, if there was ever a piece that was made for a movie that was perfect for a movie, it's this. And in fact, you know, it, that came true. This, this piece has been acquired, paid for by Sony, Sony Pictures, right? Yeah, about... they they bought the option. Yeah, um, we'll see if they actually decide to make it. So what? How? How did this? I mean, obviously the attraction is obvious when you read it. In fact, there even at the end of the piece, there's some explicit talk among the players about you know they're so they're so uh, full of their victory. You know, they're saying who's going to play me in in the movie that we make about this team. So they're already thinking in terms of Hollywood glory. Yeah, I and think... in fact, uh, you know, it, it may be the case that this is going to happen. So how did this how did this come about? Well, I, I think all along, um, sort of everyone involved, including the players, as you say, wanted this to be a movie. Um, <laughs> like they think they thought of the game in terms of movies. Um, that's how they were exposed to it in the first place. Um, and when I would ask them, um, how, you know, how do you feel right now? Uh, like, what do you think of the season? They would sort of articulate all, a lot of this in terms of movies that they'd seen. Um, and so that conversation at the end where they're talking about who would play who, I think really, um, 
gets at the fact that they they saw this as as one of these triumphant right. uh, American narratives. They were they were they were living out the movie that they had seen you know so many times on the silver screen. Right? Exactly. So the, I mean, the piece itself is is I guess a little um, a little meta in that way that it's kind of self consciously a little. A little. <laughs> the whole piece is incredibly meta. That's the whole fun of it. That's right. amazing. It's, yeah. a, it's sort of self consciously cinematic. Yeah. Um, I mean this this particular. Deal. I I'm a little in the dark about the the mechanics of how these things happen, but basically the the New Republic has uh, an agent who they work with sometimes, mm-hmm. who uh, started shopping the piece around before publication, got some interest uh, from a, a couple different studios. There there is a bidding process, and then um, they they ended up uh, selling it to Sony. Huh. Um, what that actually means, I'm not I'm not totally sure. Um, I think the they have the option, and that will last for uh, maybe a year and a half or so, and then after that, it it'll expire. They'll renew it. Um, but I I think the reason that there is interest is that uh, this is obviously the kind of movie that could appeal to both American audiences and absolutely, Chinese audiences, yeah. This which is, is sort of like a holy grail that exactly. I think a lot of yeah Hollywood studios are. That's looking the for. first thing I thought. You know, this obvious uh, sort of Hollywood uh, double deal. You know, the b- b- mainland and then Western audiences, what they're trying to go for. Yeah, I think it can work. I don't know. Would I hope you have some say in it that it don't would just just fall out of your uh, control completely. I was hoping maybe you could get me a bit part. You know, could you? I could As be the, like, the guy who walks onto the field. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wanders on. Or maybe uh, expat heckler in the bleachers number three or something. That'd be okay too, you know, whatever. Or, you know, a good, is there any love scenes in the movie? <laughs> Give me that. We'll see. I, I, I don't expect to have uh, much control, if any. I, probably not. <laughs> I want to I briefly touch on, on another piece, which... Uh, uh, which you wrote in 2012, I guess, in GQ about ping pong. Mm. And uh, we don't have to talk very much about it, but I, it's it's a lovely sort of uh, a bookworm, a bookworm, <laughs> bookends <laughs> well, to, thank this, you. <laughs> to this particular piece because uh, in a certain sense, this is about Chinese people doing something they're not yet very good at and they sort of suck at. And your your piece was explicitly about your attempts to play ping pong in China uh, which in the U.S. that you said you don't suck at, and so we we're hoping right. maybe in China, but but you still sucked anyway. And so the, it's the piece is very funny. You want to talk a little about your your ping pong uh, piece? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean the the conceit of it was right that um in in the U.S. I was sort of um the ping pong asshole guy, He's annoying. Yeah, the, the I, I hate you. <laughs> I hate people like I do. Right, and yeah. a lot of it's it's sort of a recognizable yeah. uh, character. The jerk is the name. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so coming here, I was, I was, I had, I got to Beijing in the summer of 2011 and I was looking for, um, sort of points of, uh, cultural contact, uh, that I could, could try and deepen, um, with people I met here. So ping pong was an obvious choice. I signed up for, to take classes at the, the Shircha High Mm-hmm. Uh, athletics sports you know where that school. is we've sent students there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah um when you know they tr- they train a lot of great ping pong players some mm-hmm. of whom go on to to play on the national team and <clears throat> i signed up um kind of expecting to be thrown into some random class of people of all ages you know chinese people foreigners it turned out to be me and uh, an entire class full of chinese 10 year olds <laughs> um all of whom slaughtered you mercilessly. Right. All, all of whom all they do every day, except for a couple hours of, 
of classroom time is play ping pong. Yeah. So um, that's something China does with that athletes. They create these. They get them at the young age, and they just create these robots that are just unbelievably good. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I'm I'm beyond the age where I can reprogram my right. body. <laughs> um, but but the, the reason um, your description is very funny, by the way, that you're playing with these kids and you feel like suddenly that the laws of physics have somehow <laughs> or gravity has somehow shifted because the ball is not behaving in the way you're used to having it behave in the US. Yeah, no, it was like it was it was like magic. Yeah, um, yeah. it was really really scary. Um but in in that case uh it was I, I felt like it, the idea came out of the a very typical expat experience which is feeling like you're constantly um losing face uh when when you're in china and you're well, constantly yeah, embarrassing the way, the way you put it you said you're in china everything is hard even driving a taxi uh, ordering something so even eating the food even digesting the food is difficult <laughs> so you wanted to find something that you could actually do what do well right? right right um and and also sort of exposing myself like humiliation is already a big part of, of being here as a yes, foreigner oh, absolutely and yeah. so taking that to uh, an extreme, I think, is an interesting experiment, or sort of actively subjecting yourself to that humiliation yeah. and seeing where, where it's it goes. good. Since we foreigners have humiliated them for a hundred years, then, then it's, <laughs> right, it's time that we should get yeah. hundred years yeah. of uh, reverse. At least a hundred years, or at least a hundred <laughs> man hours of it, which we've gotten more. We've gotten many millions of man hours of, of humiliation. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very good. Well, I, I I really recommend both of these articles uh, to. Uh, to to you know listeners because they're there's you write in a very funny self-effacing style uh, and even in the in the football piece uh, where, where you're making you know obviously it's 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 all in affectionate you know love for these characters which are which are so human you write about them so well it's really written written very humorously but it's something very um, how to put it they just come across as very human and real. And the same thing, the same thing with the ping pong piece. I think it's really great. Uh, one quick question. The photographs play a big role in both of these. I mean, you can't even imagine the article without those f- amazing photographs. Uh-huh. And they're both, is it, they're both the same guy, right? Yeah, yeah, both Matthew, by, uh, Matthew Niederhauser, right? Yeah, Matt Niederhauser. How um, do you, where, how did he play, what role does he play? Is he like your, your, your go-to photographer here, or what? Uh, well, he's he's been in Beijing for for quite a while, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's taken incredible photos for for a lot yeah. of different places. Um, and we actually went to college together, but we uh-huh. didn't know each other oh. at the time. Um, we were we first met uh, when we were working together for the the GQ ping pong piece, uh-huh. um, and yeah, he's just he's just fantastic. Uh, yeah. He's got a really great eye. Um, Got a great sense of humor. Yeah, and he's got the same. the The photos complement the article really well. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, um, he's he's not in he's in and out of Beijing. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's here permanently anymore. Um, but they they made a huge difference with both of those pieces. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, very highly recommended. These these are you will not regret these <laughs> these two long longish. You were becoming the sort of go to person for cross-cultural sports uh, issues. It's it really funny because like. I actually don't care about sports at all. <laughs> uh, yet somehow I come to China and suddenly feel, discover I'm a sports reporter. I don't, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> yeah. really. Well, we all stumble into things, uh, you know, from the, through the back door. Um, okay, I think uh, let's just leave it at that and whet the appetite of the <laughs> audience, <laughs> so, so the, the listeners, so that they can actually explore this on their own. Uh, we usually do recommendations at the end of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you want to give me 
some recommendation for the audience? Um, yeah. Well, anyone um, who I've spoken to in the last year or so, I'm sure I've gone on this rant about uh, my favorite writer currently, um, this guy named Jeff Dyer. Ah, uh, Jeff Dyer, yeah. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with the other Jeffrey Dyer. Um, there's a, a guy named Jeffrey Dyer who writes for the Financial Times Oops, sometimes. I just made the mistake. <laughs> okay. Um, Erase that. Erase it. Go back, go back. Go and ahead. he like, had some book oh, about China. Not, not that, that guy. guy. Oh, I'm not sorry. that guy. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Um, the, the Jeff Dyer I'm talking about, uh, also G-E-O-F-F-D-Y-E-R. But anyway, he's just this incredible writer that I feel like should be a household name, um, but is, I, I'd say, still sort of a, a cult. Uh, figure, but he he writes books about all kinds of different topics, and his books are often described as uncategorizable. They're they're sort of uh, part fictional, part essay, part cultural criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote one about that's a separate category, you know. Uncategorizable is one of the <laughs> it's categories its own section in the book. Yeah, 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 right. Um, but he really, I think he's the master of that. Um, he wrote a book about jazz, a book about photography, one about uh, memory in World War One, uh-huh. um, and. Uh, I, I guess if I had to recommend a book for this audience, it would be a collection of travel pieces that he wrote about traveling around Asia um, and some other places called Yoga for People Who Can't Be Bothered to Do It. Um, <laughs> he's this just really uh, funny, um, sort of a, a master craftsman of, of the sentence by sentence um, piece. And and then I would that's a little say, bit like Bill Bryson maybe a little bit. Or um yeah, I think he, I think he's a lot better than Bill Bryson. Oh really? Oh, okay. I would say, I mean wow. I, I like Bill Bryson, but uh, I think Jeff Dyer is on another, another level. And, and then my favorite book of his is um, this seemingly obscure uh, book about um, his attempt to write a book about D.H. Lawrence mm. um, and his attempt and, and subsequent failure because of distraction. Lady Chatterley's Loser. <laughs> right. I'm sure that was a discarded yeah, title. <laughs> it's called Out of Sheer Rage. Ooh, um, and wow. that's that's my favorite. So I highly recommend both of those. Great. Wow. Interesting. I, that you've, you've whetted my appetite. I want to get into it. I, I want to be a Debbie Downer here for a second <laughs> to recommend something that's really out of out of the keeping of the character of this podcast, but <laughs> Louisa Lim, who's a very uh, good NPR correspondent, and you know, I, I really like her a lot, has written a new book, with, uh, uh, given that we're up on a 25th anniversary of a very important event coming up, called The People's Republic of Amnesia, Tiananmen Revisited. Uh, and uh, I actually, I have not yet read it, so maybe it's weird to be recommending it, but I have started to read it, and I get the basic idea. But it's basically, um, you know, some stories of uh, survivors, people went through it, through the, through, it's, it's more personal stories of, of, I think it's eight people, uh, their experiences of, the, of that particular time. And even uh, including um, the untold uh, Chengdu crackdown during that period, during the June 4th time, which a lot of people don't know about. And it's just interesting, I think. Uh, in fact, I think they're doing this, a, uh, an event at that uh, my old alma mater, University of Michigan, Louisa Lim, uh, uh, organized by James Carter, our friend, and Jeff Wasserstrom. Um, so this would be very interesting. But this book just uh, 
goes to show or, or is an example of the fact that this is still very much the events of, of that of that time are still very much part of living history. There's still a lot more stories to tell. There's still a lot of people out there who have not yet spoken. And as we know, you know, there's uh, uh, Zhao Ziyang's memor- memoirs that came out only recently that we didn't even know existed, and the Tiananmen Papers that came out. So it's 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 another book in 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 the ongoing saga of uh, of that that dark time that uh, you know deserves to be read. So that's that's my recommendation. On that. <laughs> opposite <laughs> note uh, Chris thanks for coming we really enjoyed talking to you and I'll, I, you know I just thought a second ago I've got the next sport that you should tackle and you know oh yeah championship wrestling you know, okay. if they can bring championship wrestling to China I mean you should really go for that uh, you should start investing in, I mean I think you, you mean like uh, like ultimate fighting uh, or, or like WWE, WWE, yeah, oh, WWF. Yeah. The world. I think yeah. I think Ultimate Fighting is already pretty big here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll. I'll, I'll look but no, it's not it. campy enough. I mean, championship right. wrestling. I mean, it should be great. I mean, think of all the things you could have Zhuge Liang and different characters. You know, that are you know. That, I think it would be great. L- let's work on it. Lei Feng. Uh, Lei Feng. <laughs> <laughs> serve oh the serve God. the people. Serve the people. Then there's already the people's the people. elbow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great. See. We've got, a, we've got another film here. We, we would get another acquisition for this film. Nice. Okay. Uh, well, that's all. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, Chris. And, thanks for having uh, me. Pleasure. Hopefully, I promise that either Jeremy or Kaiser or both will be back to the podcast next week. <laughs> well, congrats on your debut. Thank you. Thank you.